In a world filled with information, where do you turn to get straight talk about retirement, investments, and your money? Lock it in to the longest-running financial talk show in Arkansas and let us help you build the bridge between information and application. Real financial change begins right here, and it starts with you. It's showtime! On today's show, we are always focused on education. Do you need a crash course in the stock market to get your focus off a perceived stock market crash? Then stay tuned. That is straight ahead. This is the Get Ready for the Future show. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Get Ready for the Future show. We are glad to have you along. My name is Scott Inman, John Shrewsbury, and Janet Walker with me once again today. On today's show, the aptly titled Stock Market Crash course. Now, we're not talking about a stock market crash, although that's what everybody else seems to be talking (laughs) about these days. And it is a very timely topic for us because as of Monday, we officially, as measured by the S&P 500 index, entered into bear market territory. And that, of course, sends fear down everybody's spine because we have been trained to know that bear market is not good. And it's it's not. Certainly not. But let's start by we're going to go through today some definition of terms, right? Because you hear all these things. I think it's important. Not only we talk a lot about the emotional side, right? That, right. that people get very fearful by the fear-driven headlines in the overall news media and particularly the financial media. But they also hear words and mm-hmm. terms that they really don't necessarily even know what they mean, right? Well, and I think bear market is one of those yep. terms. Yep. You should not react to a bear market like I would react to a real bear. Mm-hmm. And that's bear! <laughs> <laughs> and run and run and then get chased by the bear and probably mauled by the bear but anyway i think that that obviously you don't want to do that if you are confronting a bear and you right. don't want to run in the face of a bear market yep. so the other thing to keep in mind is what market are we talking about right. you know and and in most conversations it's going to be a reference to the s&p 500 and so you're talking about 500 different companies and this is how their individual stocks are performing. And the question is, how is your market performing? Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that a little bit today. But I think it's important. We, we just kind of, as a society in general, we collectively say the market yep. as though there is only one. And that is the only thing that we are measuring. And so just kind of keep that in mind as we go through the show today. Yeah, yep. that's very interesting to me, too, because a lot of the other indices that are measured have yes. already been in bear market yeah. territory, the yeah. NASDAQ, the Russell. But the S&P 500 is generally thought of, even though it is, as Janet mentioned, only 500 companies. They are the 500 largest companies by uh, capitalization. loosely by capitalization uh, in the United States even, too. So they're domestic stocks as well. But that index did finish Monday down 20%, a little more than 20% off its all-time high, right? The right. high was on January 3rd of 2022. So, and I heard Ryan Dietrich, our friend at LPL, say this on his Market Signals podcast, that it's felt like we've been in a bear market for a right. lot longer than we yeah. have. 2022 yeah. has been a prolonged downturn, but that's all a bear market really means. That's the definition. 
So if that's the definition and we are there and we are, then where do we go from here? I think that's the critical question, Scott, is we've got to look at at not that, you know, getting all in the emotion, all in the feels of a, of a bear market. But, yep. OK, where do we go from here? So what does history really tell us about this? Yeah. So we've got a nice chart also provided to us by LPL Research. So if you're watching on our live stream, uh, you'll be able to see that. We'll go over it as detailed as we can for our radio side and our podcast side. But stocks do tend to do well after entering into a bear market. So what you're looking at on the live stream is from 1950 till now, the number of times that we've entered a bear market and the date on the far left-hand column that they started. And then a little bit farther over where the color is, you'll see the S&P 500 index returns three months after we entered a bear market, six months after we entered a bear market, and 12 months after we entered a bear market. And for for people who aren't able to see yes. this, I'm just going to tell you there's way more green on these returns than there is red. So positive than negative in those three and six and 12 month periods. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah, there have been 10 instances that are measured here. So three months out in eight of 10, eight out of 10 of those instances, we were positive three months later. In six out of 10 of those instances, we were positive six months later. And 12 months out in seven out of 10 instances, we were positive. Now, let's dig down even deeper because those are good, encouraging numbers. The average gain three months later is 3.8%. The average gain six months later is 3.6%. And the average, the average gain 12 months out is 14.8%. Well, this means you just don't get off the horse until it quits bucking. You know, that's what you basically do. You you don't get out of a portfolio just because it went down. And and the other thing that I want to talk about is that in the areas that you see that we did not go higher, Mm -hmm. uh, when, you know, there, for instance, if you take a look at 1970, uh, we didn't go higher for six months, but we did for 12 months. Uh, But in 1973, we were down still. 12 months later, 28%. In 2008, we were down still 29%. What does that mean? That means those times were times when the economy was just in shambles. It really was, you didn't know, you know, whether we were going to come out of 2008 and, and the financial markets had all seized up and none of that is happening right now. So this is a time, John, when we look at the economic indicators and just look a little bit deeper than where are we right now on the S&P 500? What's really going on under the surface? Because before you start rolling through this, what, what I want people to understand is you have to determine... Do you see this as a fear point and you're going to run over and just pull all your cash and pull all your money out and put it in cash and just not participate in whatever the next three, six or 12 months bring us? Or do you see it as an opportunity? If you're a longtime listener to the Get Ready for the Future show, you've heard us talk about buying cows and you buy cows when the market is down. You buy a lot more cows because you're getting a discount. So everything out there, as far as the S&P is concerned, it's at a discount right now. And if you look at it that way, if you believe in the fundamentals of where we are in the economy, then it should, over time, show you an opportunity. So, John, let's talk about some of those indicators about where we really are. Well, and and let me say that there's a lot of opinion out there about the economy and what's driving the economy and what the economy's shape is in and all that type of thing. And with all due respect, you are entitled to your opinion. You're just not entitled to your own facts. So we're going to delve into the facts and talk about 
where the economy really is. And what we want to do is is paint a picture, not relative to where we were during COVID, because obviously we're better off than we were when we were in COVID. But let's go back to 2019, because things were great in 2019. So where is our economic activity right now? Initial jobless claims are exactly the same that they were in 2019. 229,000 that was reported on June 3rd of this year, the same time in 2019, 229,000 initial jobless claims. Continuing jobless claims, there back in 2019, there were 1,614,000 continuing jobless claims. Today, 1.3 million. So a better number there. Check this out. Most people would say, oh, well, you know, retail's really struggling. Well, is it really? The retail sales were up 5.8% in 2019. In 2022, they're up 12.4% on a year-over-year basis. Mm -hmm. You look at things like box office receipts. Now, this is a little bit skewed because in 2019, box office receipts were $251 million uh, for uh, the period of time in 2019. They're $171 million in 2022. But let's talk about that. You, number one, had almost no movie production going on during COVID. So there is not a lot of movies out there that people are, are just streaming into the theaters to go see. Top Gun Maverick is an exception. It was actually shot prior to COVID. Yeah. And so you've got that factor going on. So that really is not a legitimate uh, comparison there. You got a lot of other things. You look at the the supply of motor fuel, uh, basically the same as it was in 2019. You look at, at things like uh, people going through the TSA checkpoints, hotel occupancy. It was 64.4% mm-hmm. in 2019. Today, it's 63.2%, virtually the same. So, Scott, I don't know uh, what would cause someone to look at those numbers and say the economy is bad what's really affecting the economy is two things one is the war in uh in ukraine and the other is this rise in interest rates and and fuel prices and and inflation and things of that nature well let's boil that down you've got war and you have economic policy of the Mm -hmm. biden administration that really you're out of control of Uh, And so those are the two things that that we see that are creating this bear market that we've had. To your point, the Fed has has raised interest rates and is probably today going to raise interest rates again uh, to try to tamp down inflation. Why are we having inflation? Well, things are disrupted because of the war in, in Ukraine. And we have basically made the the decision in this country or at least the administration has, to shut off uh, the uh, independence that we had of foreign oil. And now we're relying on foreign oil, and those guys get to set the price. And so that's where we are as far as the economy is concerned. And these two things uh, will pass, and the economy will recover. And I think we'll see a replay very much like we've seen historically with the stock market. When we go into a bear market, we're likely to be higher 12 months down the road. Well, let's talk. Let's dive into inflation just a little bit, too, because everybody, I think, uh, listening understands that in a way they feel it because they can clearly go to the gas pump and to the grocery store and other markets where they buy things and see prices go up. That always occurs, but it is running historically hot. There's no question about that. Uh, We're still at 40-year highs, and a lot of what drove us into this bear market, and and we were already going down in 2022, but what 
eventually drove the S&P 500 Monday into the bear market was because inflation data is still running rather hot. And I think economists and investors were expecting it to trend down. But if you look at why, the overall inflation number was up 8.6% in May. Now that's compared May over May, right? Year over year. And it was it was not quite that hot in the April numbers. So we actually went up a little bit in overall inflation. But if you strip out food and gas, which were really driving this, we actually did start to trend down. That's uh, called core CPI. So the inflation numbers behind the headline, behind everything, behind the overall prices may actually be trending. And there's a shift too. I think it's very interesting to note too, because you were talking about the box office, you were talking about all the goods that people buy. The the pandemic really threw that on its head. There's yeah. no question mm-hmm. about it. We we bit, we spent a lot on durable goods during the pandemic. We are spending less now on durable goods. What are we spending more on? Services. Yes. Those yeah. hotel occupancies, those airline tickets. And even though those prices are going up, airline tickets mm-hmm. are sky high right yeah. now, yeah. people are still buying them. And I think that's where right now in the economy, I, I do think it's important to point out that if inflation persists, that we will see a slowdown in spending. People can't do it forever. But right now, they are still spending, and spending is what drives the economy. Well, when you think about what's going on right now is people are beginning to spend down that bubble of cash that they built mm-hmm. up yep. during the 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 uh, COVID period of time and, and during the recession that we had in 2020. People got really lean and mean. Hey, look, here, the American economy runs on capitalism, and capitalism basically says that if you can charge a higher price, you're going to do it. And if people are willing to char- mm-hmm. to pay that higher price, they'll raise it again until you stop buying it. And when you stop buying it, you know, you go, okay, I'm not going to do that. Uh, you know, price of cars are 10% over the sticker price. I'm not going to do that. No. You know, nobody in their right mind really ought to do that unless they're desperate for a car. And usually you can probably find a car, you know, somewhere else without going through that type of thing. But those are things that have happened in the economy. And that is what is driving inflation. When the American consumer cuts off the money, then the prices will come down. How do I know this? Look at what's happening with the retail sales. These companies like Walmart and Target, they've overstocked on yep. some things, mm-hmm. and now they're having to cut prices because people aren't buying those right. things. They've got to get it out of their inventory. It's a very simple equation, and it will correct itself. This is really part of working out what we've been through with COVID, influenced and, and compounded by policy and the war we are fond of saying on the get ready for the future show that it's not about the overall economy it's about your economy and we do uh, we are sensitive to the fact that inflation on food and gas is a little bit different than decisions about cars you do have to buy food and you do have to put gas in your tank maybe your margin has been pinched i would say that it probably has right so how do you respond? I think we should probably talk a little bit about that. How do you respond as the overall economy with the stock market being down now in bear market territory and inflation continuing to run hot at historical highs? How should you respond? Well, let's start with the investment side because we've already kind of yeah. related to that. But, it, but with the market down, there's two things I think we should highlight. It's not time to sell but it may be time to buy if you've got cash on the sidelines. So this is not necessarily an age-based answer, but at your stage of life, but yes. I'm, I'm going to tell it from an age-based answer just because of, of where I am at this point in life. I, my son is 19, and he's working full-time for the first time in his life, and so he's making some money, and uh, of course with me as his mom, he has set up a Roth IRA. 
and it, and it hasn't been in there very long. So you know what direction has the market gone since he opened this account? It, it has it's gone south. Um, but for him, this is opportunity, and he understands that because he's my kid and he's heard this all of his life. But what's happening is he put in two thousand dollars. And he's adding to that at $500 a month now moving forward. So he'll max out his Roth by the end of the year. But he's not going to be concerned at the end of the year if he has put in $6,000 and it's worth, I don't know, $4,000, let us say, at that point. And the reason he's not going to be concerned is that he's putting this money in there for his retirement and he's 19. Yep. He has four decades before he gets to 59 and a half. And so we've got time for the price of his investments to change a bazillion times between now and then. And it's okay. So he's just continuing to invest because right now the market is down. Even though the statement looks ugly at the moment, it is actually opportunity because the market is down. He's buying at a discount. Can I interpret that? Sure. Janet is saying, my kid's fully funded Roth IRA trumps your kid's BMW. <laughs> that's what that's what that actually just yes, says. Yes. Well, what I really meant to say was, if you're investing, continue to do so. Right. <laughs> yeah. It is not the time to walk away from buying, especially yeah. if you're young and even if you're in middle age, because you have... I think the mindset, and we've talked about this often too, is the mindset can be that when you get that statement and you see your account value and you saw it on January 3rd, let's say you saw your year-end statement, it was at its all-time high, right? And you get that statement in February, March, and April, and May, and it keeps going down and down and down. That presents to you, it's called recency bias, right? You've reached an all-time high. You believe once you have that account value at that dollar amount that it should never go down. And that's not the mentality to have. So let's fast forward my son's story. Let's, Let's age him quite a bit here. Let's say that now we're years down the road and he's 50 and he's a decade, and let's say he's 55. He's a decade out from retirement. If he continues to do what I've coached him to do, he's going to be in the seven-figure realm at that point in terms of his retirement assets. And so let's say that this pullback causes him to go from north of the million-dollar marker to south of the million-dollar marker. Y'all, that's a psychological game. And and we've we've walked clients through that conversation. But I think that many people... Uh, at that age tend to look at retirement as a stop sign Mm -hmm. and like I'm going to need this whole pool of money when I retire in less than a decade that's not true not not the way that we approach this you need to look at it as more of a yield sign like there are portions of your retirement that you will need early in retirement and you need to slow that down in terms of the risk that you're taking but there are other portions that you're not going to need for another 20 or 30 years after you retire because you don't use it all on day one and so even somebody who is in close proximity to retirement has a portion of their investments that needs to be treated with a longer term mindset just like my now 19 year old does yeah that's that's a great point because 10 percent off of a million hurts it it, it does yeah more than 10 percent off of a couple of uh, thousand yes, right it's exactly a bigger bigger number and so when you do walk into that retirement red zone is what janet's talking about that 10 years or less away from retirement you should already be positioning 
your assets in a way for distribution that means your portfolio, which that's another definition of terms. There's a difference between the S&P 500 or even stock in general and someone's investment portfolio. If you have a diversified portfolio, it's not all in the S&P 500 right now, and it isn't in, it shouldn't be, a bear market. Yeah, and you, you are going to have sectors of, of that overall portfolio that are actually performing pretty well. We've talked on this show before about how well real estate has performed during mm-hmm. this time. But I want to give everybody an opportunity to do a little self-help therapy. I believe that you could, you know, hear us talk all day long and and you go, yeah, okay, those guys are in the investment business. Maybe they know what they're talking about or whatever the case may be. But here's what I want you to do. If you're an investor, take your statement that you have from the end of May, lay it down on the table, and then go back in your file or go back online Mm -hmm. and pull the statement that you had at the end of May in 2020, two years ago, and see where you are relative to that. I talk about looking through the knothole of a fence. You can look through the knothole of a fence and you can only see a small part of your neighbor's yard. But if you rise above that fence and get above the top of the fence, you can see the entire yard. So perspective is everything. And even though we are sitting today in a bear market, yes, we are down from the, the all-time high, Scott, that we saw back in, in January, January, December, January, depending on which market you want to look at. We are down from that point. But where are you from two years ago? Where are you from five years ago? Are you continuing to make progress even though we've pulled back a little bit? Are you continuing to make progress? And the question is, do you still continue to need to make progress in the face of rising inflation? I think the answer to that is absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's important too, not only that, not only to compare your returns over a longer period of time rather than a short period of time, but I think referring it and comparing it to a plan. And that's what we do at GenWealth. We are going to illustrate or model a projected conservative rate of return over a long period of time. And what happens is when we have our annual reviews with our clients right now, they've been with us for four or five years, like that time frame you're talking about, you're coming in and going, boy, if if we if we look through that knot hole, mm-hmm. it looks pretty ugly right now, right? It could. I mean, it doesn't look as bad as the, the bear market because it is a diversified portfolio, but it can look pretty ugly through that knot hole. But if you spread it out and look to see, are we on track mm-hmm. on the plan that we have made for your retirement? Our clients are still on track. Guys, I think it's important to for our people who are listening who are retirees to think about whether they have an advisor who has a plan for them. Yeah. Do you have a plan? Because let me tell you how this works for most investors in retirement. Their, their advisor is using something called the 4% rule. This is not what we do here, but it's very important to understand the distinction. So let's work with a million dollars just for easy math. It doesn't matter if you have more than this or less the concept is still the same so if you're in if you have a million dollars and your advisor is using the four percent rule that means that they're going to say you know what you have a million dollars you can safely quote unquote safely withdraw four percent per year for your income so you withdraw forty thousand dollars you use that to supplement your social security and maybe a pension so forty thousand dollars coming from your investments and then that's fine until it's not, until we get to a point like a 2008, like a 2001. In 2008, the market was down 40%. So let's go back to that million dollars. If that million dollars is down 40%, then you now have 600000 not a million. You have $600,000 at this point in your investments. 
if you're still going to stick with the 4% rule, it's now 4% off of 600000 not off of a million. So at this point, you need to be taking, by the 4% rule, you need to be taking $24,000 in income. Guys, I don't know about you, but I don't have any clients who want to take a decrease from $40,000 a year to $24,000 a year. So if they say, hey, I want to keep taking the $40,000, that's okay, but... It's now relative to that at 600000 so you're at a 6.7% withdrawal rate. You're going to run out of money with that approach. This becomes this downward spiral, a spin-down process that you can't get out of when you have negative returns, particularly when those negative returns happen early in retirement. It's called sequence of return risk. It is a very dangerous thing in retirement. And guys, I want to talk about how we treat retirement income differently in order to negate this risk. Mm -hmm. Well, retirement income has to come from what I like to call that calm harbor that's sitting just outside the ocean, if you will, or just adjacent to the ocean. If you think about it, if you've ever been to San Diego, Mm -hmm. the Pacific Ocean is very tumultuous on on off the coast it, right lots of waves lots of of you know white caps and things of that nature for the most part the bay of san diego is pretty placid pretty mm-hmm. calm that's where you want to take your money is from the bay not from the ocean because the up and down of the ocean call it the stock market yeah can mm-hmm. cause you to do reverse dollar cost averaging or sell more of your shares than you really need to to generate income so in your income bucket if you will we're not going to have a bear market. There might yeah. be a bear market, but we're not going to have right. a bear market in your income bucket. And we also make sure that you have your required income coming to you on a guaranteed basis. So there's there's this floor of security, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, supplementing from an income source that is not exposed to the same level of volatility as what you are seeing in the S&P 500, as an example. And how many times have we used that in the annual review during this time? Right. Oh, when yeah. Our clients come in who are in retirement and they have that floor set and mm-hmm. they can see that account value in the product like an annuity that provides that floor may be down, but the check is still coming. That's right. The yeah, that guarantee is, is in place yeah. to yes. to fund that along with their Social Security. And by the way, guess what's going on? Social Security is going up next year yes. significantly, yeah. probably eight, nine percent somewhere in that neighborhood to as a result of inflation. Mm-hmm. So that is actually very bullish for our retirees yeah. because they are going to have more money to address inflation in their guaranteed income stream. But it does also highlight, you know, we talked a little bit about inflation and, and how it affects your personal economy. And we talked about when it comes to investing, don't stop investing. Even though your margin is maybe squeezed, you're having a harder time making ends meet even. The last resort we want you to see is to stop investing to pull back so that you could buy uh, things that cost more now that you don't need. Of course, you have to take care of your basic needs like food and gas. But in retirement, I, I when you were talking earlier, Janet, I kind of thought about this too. You hear that term living on a fixed income, mm-hmm. and, and so many retirees are forced to do that. And even if Social Security gets that boost, they got one last year uh, as a result of inflation being high in 2021. It was lower, though. I think it was 5.9%. Mm-hmm. It was lower than the actual inflation rate and much lower than actual senior expenses had increased. I think this is a, a real warning sign or a real bell ringing moment for someone who may be in their 40s or 50s and hasn't really thought much about 
living in retirement, but living in this environment should let you know that if inflation runs hot, you need a plan to increase your retirement mm-hmm. income. And that is a hallmark of the uh, the ready-to-retire process here at GenWealth is that we build retirement income plans to be adjusted for inflation. Now, we're not going to run out and raise everybody's income 10% overcome the inflation right. that we have right now. It is a prescribed increase over time because you have to be reasonable about those things. But it is a in, inflation-adjusted uh, program as a opposed to living on that fixed amount of money for the rest of your life. That is a recipe for disaster. So that fixed amount of money, I think about two different scenarios, and we've, we've seen both of these. Some some people will come in with a pension that does not have a cost of living adjustment. Right. And so if you have that, then you absolutely need to supplement from a source that can give you that increase. And then, guys, once in a while, we will still see somebody come in and go, I have this much money in the bank, and if I only pull out X amount per year and Mm -hmm. spend it down over the rest of my life, I'm not going to run out of money. Mm -hmm. The missing factor in that equation is inflation, Mm -hmm. because if you're happy on whatever X amount might be for you, if you're happy on that amount this year, you're not going to be happy on that amount in five years, and certainly not in 10. And and Janet, that is a misnomer from a, a lot of different directions, because that is assuming that life stays static. And life does not stay static. You can have health care problems that could destitute you if you don't have the proper things in place. And that's another conversation for another show that we'll have in the not too distant future. But but I will tell you that that you've got to be able to to stay ahead of inflation and the two asset classes. Let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. Historically, the two asset classes that have always helped people stay ahead of inflation are equities and real estate. Right now, real estate is the shining star. Mm -hmm. Real estate portfolios that we are using here at GenWealth have done exceedingly well in this inflationary time period and probably will continue to do so because they are well positioned to take advantage of inflationary situations. Now, that's not a promise or anything of that nature. And and there's a lot of qualifications to being in a real estate portfolio that, uh, you know, it's, it's for a particular type of investor. But it is an asset class that we use here at GenWealth. Equities have been on a tremendous run up until December of last year, and they will go back to having a tremendous run at some point in time in the future. Equities have to be part of your long-term portfolio. Yeah, and I think we haven't even brought up the the bond component of this, right? Because you were talking about the 60-40 portfolio. It has been beaten up this year. So when you talk about real estate, I think to myself too, boy, this really times like this in a rare time where stocks and bonds are going the same direction, because it doesn't happen often, certainly not to this magnitude. Rising interest rates have certainly affected the bond prices, and that's why bonds have been beaten up the way they have. But a diver- it highlights the value of a diversified portfolio, unlike probably any time in, in recent history. Uh, yeah. And that real estate is the added component because people do talk about a diversified portfolio and they just think stocks and bonds. That's not those are not the only two asset classes available. Well, in recent history, we have seen the S and P five hundred uh, be become the the golden child of investing because it was going up so much. Large yeah. cap growth yeah. stocks were on That's a right. tremendous run, and so everybody was like, "I got to be in the S and P five hundred. I got to be in the S and P five hundred." 
but if all of your money is in the yeah. S&P 500, you're now 20 plus percent down from your all-time high. Yeah. And if you need income off of that, yeah. now you're having to sell 20% more shares to generate that income than you would have back at the all-time high. Or take a 20% pay decrease, like the example we were going through earlier. And again, it goes back to the importance of having an advisor who will segment your assets mm-hmm. so that you're not all in in the S&P or all in in real estate or whatever the category might be. You've got to have diversification. The reason all of these different asset classes and groups exist is that there is a time and place in different situations to use them. It's not that one is good and the other is bad. You need to determine what your needs are in terms of income and solve from there on what products are going to meet those needs. One minor correction to what you said, there are at times good and bad, and that's why you do diversify because like right now, stocks are not doing really well. Real estate uh, portfolios that we use here at GenWealth are doing really well. That diversification is coming in very, very handy to our clients as they walk through the, the, uh, the vagarities of everything that's going on out there. It really does give them some uh, real ballast against what's going on in the stock market. And I'll acknowledge too, you know, you think about how personal your portfolio portfolio is to you. I don't like to look at mine right now. I look at all mm-hmm. my clients, but yeah. I try to avoid looking at mine because it is an emotional attachment. But if you have a plan in place, and that's how we're going to wrap this thing up, what is the plan? If you have a written financial plan in place, you can always refer to that and that helps take the emotion out of your uh, desire to maybe jump ship if you are feeling like you're in that uh, Pacific Ocean. Aren't any bears out there, but there are sharks. <laughs> there are sharks, yes. And I'm scared of those too. Time sharks, for our final thoughts. bears, bulls, you know. <laughs> okay. Um, I would say for the final thought, investing can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. The good news is that you don't have to be a financial guru to get a plan together that will work for you and your individual needs, your personalized circumstances. So just take some time to think about what are the challenges that you're concerned about and begin to solve for how do we move forward in a better way financially. Janet, I will say that that education is the antidote to fear. Mm -hmm. We are education driven here at GenWealth. It is the first of the three things that we always do with a client. We are education driven, strategy based and team delivered. That builds in some security and some safety in terms of your knowledge and your reaction to things like a bear market, to things like volatility, to things like the guy on TV yelling at you that we're all going to heck in a handcart or whatever the case may be. Education is the antidote to fear. You need a good antidote in a market like this. If you're listening on the radio side, you'll get the fastest four minutes in finance in the program. But if you're listening on the podcast or watching on live stream, you don't, but you can get it. So my final thought is get market updates and stay in the know with the fastest four minutes in finance. We're talking about the bear market and inflation in this week's uh, edition. You can sign up for free weekly info to make you financially smarter in four minutes or less. Just text the word FAST to 501-381-5228 or visit fastest4.com. That's all the time we have for this week's Get Ready for the Future show. We hope you have learned something. We hope we uh, have defined a few terms for you, like the bear market, right? If you needed a crash course in the stock market, 
uh, in the view of a stock market crash. We hope this has been enlightening and stay with us for next week's show. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building toward financial independence, share the podcast with your friends and family. The Gen Wealth financial team is available to you 24 7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866 653 PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment, and no strategy can assure success. GenWealth Financial Advisors is an Arkansas-registered investment advisor with securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC.